Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 4? We've come to verses 12 through 19. From that text, I want to bring you a message that the words of which are extracted from the final portion of this text. Trust your soul to God. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, the, the saints that have been dispersed and placed in those areas. We learned early in 1 Peter that God put them there to sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a purpose for it. How do we do that? And so he's been going through this admonition, this instruction of just how to live, just live like a Christian. Here's how you live with regard to civility and citizenship. And here's how you live with regard to your personal faith, the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Here's how you live in a family structure. Here's how you respond to certain things. You just obey the teachings of Christ you live like a Christian. This is a large part of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Letting people see Christ in your life. How Christ in you changes things and makes a difference. He continues in that admonition as he has for all the way through. How do we trust God and trust our souls to God? How do we continue to hold ourselves together? Let's say if we're suffering because we're Christians, it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened to you already, it will somewhere. Somewhere you come to a, 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 a pathway, a, a, a fork in the road or whatever, a cross path. And there it is, you follow the way of the world and you're accepted and you don't have much problem or you maintain your path as a Christian, your journey in this world and you'll suffer. People will despise you, they'll say bad things against you, they'll say evil things, they'll even make up things against you. Some cases it costs a person his life, his very life. So. Peter understands that in a pagan system that has been brainwashed into believing that Christians are crazy and that they are bad for society. They, they thought of Christians back then as flesh eaters. Uh, they, in this case, the letter apparently was written in, in the late part of the year and during the summer of that year, earlier that year, before this letter was written, Rome was burned and Nero blamed the Christians for setting fire to Rome. And so they're, they're singled out as, as treasonous or, or as troublemakers or whatever. They, they claim to have another king other than Caesar. And so all this, all, all, all of this distressing portrait was painted with all of these things against Christianity 
And yes, we have another king, but we're going to live as model citizens in this life. We understand that uh, the powers that be are ordained of God. There wouldn't be any order or structure in the world if it wasn't for the fact that God had made it so. So we, we believe in, in the sovereign rule of God and many times it's uncomfortable, but we just maintain our Christian lives. God will work it out. So now we're going to suffer. These Christians especially will suffer on the eastern fringe of the Roman Empire because of what has been said about Christianity. So here we go. Number one, don't let the fire that you're going to fall into surprise you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire taking place among you. And here's the reason for the fire. For testing or trial, a testing. Parasmon, parasmon. The root word parasmos. The root word is, is a word that means refining fire. It is the fire that is burned when ore is extracted from the earth. And there's gold, there's a vein of gold in there, but time and pressure from the earth have compressed those, those elements together so that the ore is stuck to rocks and other minerals. So it's really not worth as much as it can be until it is subjected to the parasmos, to the fire, to the fire of testing. Gold has a lower melting point than the rest of the stuff that it's stuck to in the ore that is extracted. So when the fire, when it is subjected to fire, gold fairly quickly liquefies and it begins to trickle out and separates itself from all the other stuff. The slag, the chaff, whatever. It separates itself from the material that is really worthless, which is cast away, but the gold is special. And it is, it is taken and it is molded and it is kept and refined because it's gold. Now this is the fire that is described that comes upon Christians and, and specifically uh, these Christians. It's coming, look at him. Don't be surprised at the fire taking place, already happening. Peter understood what is going on, but it's there for you to be tested. Suffering, suffering refines us. The world avoids suffering as much as possible. There's a lot of, I don't know, if you, if you study the political landscape of any nation in any point of time, there is this, there is this case of, uh, 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 this unit of people that became known as elites and, and somehow they rose to a position which, in which they found themselves in need of even compromising personal beliefs so that they could maintain power or so that they wouldn't have to suffer. I don't want to suffer being ostracized. I don't want to, be, I don't want to suffer 
being banished from the in crowd, from those who are in power. So I'm just going to go along with just about everything they say. I'm just going to compromise. The world avoids suffering as much as it can, runs from it. In the case of a Christian, because the world is the world, under the authority of the God of this world, the God of this age, the trend always within humanity, fallen humanity, is to drift further and further away from God. It's seen all the way through the scriptures, even all the way through the end of the Bible. God's people along the way are tested by that. What's most important to you? Who is your Lord? Who is your king in their case? Is Jesus your king? Then you must obey the things of Jesus. It goes back to the days of Elijah. If Baal is God, then worship him. But if Yahweh is God, then worship him and come out from among everybody else. It was a great time of revival. In the time of Elijah there on Mount Carmel, when the prophets of Baal were, were separated and finally slain and, slain and killed, the prophets of Jezebel, of Baal. So that's one example, but even, and we've talked about this as well, Peter and, and John stood before the tribunal of Jews and they had whipped them because they were preaching in the name of Jesus and people were even being healed and they told them, we, you, can, you can say the words of scripture, but you cannot preach in this name. Well, Peter disagreed and he didn't. And it, it, it cost him a lot of things, but it gave him great spiritual power in his work for Christ. So it is for us. Suffering in the lives of Christians comes somewhere in some form because we're in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Therefore, we must have loyalty to Christ. We, we, we have but one choice, and, and that is to follow Christ and to follow the teachings of Christ. Therefore, that brings the attack of this world, which in the case of Christians is a fiery trial, parasmos, the fire of refinement. Let me tell you why it comes in our lives. Because sometimes we can't help it. Just walking through this life, dross will attach itself to us. And that dross, we need to be relieved from that dross. So a fiery trial will come and the purity of the gold will naturally be separated in the fiery trial that falls into the lives of Christians. And you emerge from that a stronger Christian. You may find yourselves, yourself in a different environment, sometimes maybe in a different job. But at what point, at what point would we dare compromise? Do we have a price? In our faith, oh, please God, no. That's what Peter is saying here. 
It's going to come. You're going to be placed in a fire, already are, and it's for testing. But don't be surprised as though something strange or foreign is happening to you. He's going to say in the next verse, but just to give a preview, Christ suffered. Christ suffered immensely. Christ suffered in a way that no man will ever be required because we can't. We're not the Christ. We can't die for the sins of others. Christ could, however. And so he was horribly mistreated and then finally died a most cruel death on the cross. So don't be surprised. Our Lord had said in the gospel account, they did it to me, they'll do it to you. You are no better than your master. So don't count it, don't be surprised when you suffer, but count it as a cause for joy, verse 13. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, whenever something adverse happens to us, because we are Christians, we are sharing and we suffer from, we're sharing the sufferings of Christ. That's what we're told in the scriptures. To suffer in this life in any way for being a Christian, for having Christian values, for living a Christian life, to suffer in any way because we are Christian means that we are sharing the sufferings of Christ. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also in the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. In the revelation of his glory, in the manifestation of his glory. Christ was ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1. His disciples had walked with him, had laughed with him, had cried with him, had journeyed with him, had felt hatred like he felt it and saw the blessings that he put upon people. They were there for those three years. It was an experience indescribable. Then the horror of arrest and the mistreatment of Christ that happened. And then the horrific, horrific treatment of Christ in his passion as it was, as it was leading him finally then to the cross. And he was, he was literally shredded and, and torn in a sense of, of having been whipped and beaten. And then to be crucified on the cross with criminals as a criminal. What was his crime? It was nailed to the cross above his head. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And it was given in the three major languages of the day. So that everybody would understand his crime was nothing else other than he was the king of the Jews. So they watched this humiliation. Then when he was taken and buried, they hid, knowing that they were next. They surely will be coming for us. And so they would hide themselves and not know what to do. They were trembling in fear. And then on that 
third day after the resurrection of Christ, he appeared to them. They begin to be strengthened a little bit. And he spends those 40 days with them after his resurrection, but before his ascension. And the Bible says in Luke, he opened the scriptures to their minds. And so they learned the doctrine of the Christ directly from Christ, the teacher, as he took them through the law and the prophets and the books of wisdom and the scriptures. He carried them all the way through. And now their minds were being opened by none other than Christ in this teaching. It wouldn't reach really its completion in their hearts and minds until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. But their question was, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Seems like the next thing to do since you've defeated death. And now, now since you've defeated death, if you start losing soldiers, all you have to do is raise us up from the dead. We'll keep on fighting. We'll pick up where we left off. Of course, that's not the design of God. There was a great gathering yet to come of Gentiles into the time of the church. So Christ said, it's not your business to know the times, the epochs of the Father. Then he gave them the great commission. Now, right after that, in the book of Acts, he goes and they're on the mountaintop and he ascends. And he was lifted up, eperthe. Interesting Greek word. It, it goes back to the word that's used in the Hebrew uh, in uh, Isaiah, what, six, where I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the Hebrew. And now it's, he's lifted, he's eperthe. It doesn't mean just that he defied gravity. It means that he is High, and he is lifted up in glory. In John 17, he had, pri he had prayed to the Father to restore the glory that he had known before the world ever was. And this glory now falls upon him as he ascends into heaven. Apparently, according to the psalmist, he's walled about in his ascension on either side with great chariots of angels who are riding chariots. And so here's this, here's this magnificent episode of Christ being glorified. They haven't seen him like that before. They never knew him. Even when he was resurrected, they recognized him. He, he had the holes in his hands and so forth. But now they're looking at him and they're, they're gazing there, this, is, this, is even, this is even more than a deer in headlights. Emblepo, the Greek little phrase. They were staring. They were like with their mouths open and their eyes fixed. And they were stunned in awe at what they were seeing as he was lifted up. Lifted up. Those two came and said to them, why do you stand here gazing like that? Shut your mouths. Quit gazing like that. This same Jesus. Now, what do you look like? Ooh, Revelation tells us. Hair like wool, eyes like fire, feet like brass. Girdled about with a golden belt that shines brighter than our sun itself. 
in all brilliance unimaginable until we see it. We cannot fathom it. The writers of the scriptures try their best to tell us about it. Ezekiel saw him enthroned and this throne was borne up by four cherubim. Now there were five originally and one of them has fallen who became Satan. He was their captain. But there are four just like him who haven't fallen. Extraordinarily powerful and mighty. And they bear up the Merchabah, the, the chariot throne of the living God. So here are these charioted angels. And here is the rising, now glorified Son of God. Why do you stand here gazing like that? This same Jesus that you see going away shall come again in like manner. Well, we go to the Revelation. We see what he looks like there in heaven. The Revelation, the first couple of chapters. He's great. He's awesome. He's glorified. He's unlike anything. His very appearance is brighter than the sun itself. He is enthroned forevermore. Now, keep on rejoicing in your suffering that also in the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. We will share in his glory. We won't have his glory, but we can share in his glory. I tell you, what's the first thing you're going to see when you see Christ? He's coming again for you. What's the first thing you're going to see? You know, I like that song, I Can Only Imagine. I don't know if I want to stand up and shout and dance or just fall down with my mouth shut. I don't know which one I'm going to do. Probably both. Probably the first thing is to fall down like they all did in the old time. When they saw him, they fell down. They didn't have anything to say. Just boom. So probably, I've tried to figure this out for myself. You can do what you want to do. But I'm thinking, man, I'm going to see him. You know, the book of the Revelation, John, he's told, he said, write what you see. And he is getting a real good look at the glorified Christ as he always was. And this isn't like the Jesus he had known back in the gospel accounts. This is different. Ooh, this is God, the son. Ah-ha-shoah, Yahweh, Savior. This is him. And so I think when I see that, I think what will run through my mind as I fall on my face, I'm going to say, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then I'm going to be, I'm going to be peeking one eye to see who jumps up and starts shouting first, then I'll follow him. <laughs> and maybe there's a bass section and I can sing a little bass with whatever song the new song might be. Well, the revelation of his glory. You're suffering. You're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. This joins you to Christ. If he suffered and you suffered, he's going to have glory and he's going to give you glory. Glorified body. That's what I'm talking about. Man. So Peter says to them, your suffering is actually a cause for joy. Because this means that you're attached to Jesus. You are in Christ. And there's nothing bad about being in Christ. Number three, 
You can, you can live through suffering because the Spirit of God rests upon you. If you're insulted or disgraced, the word can mean either in the Greek text. In the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And apartheid, it's a compound word, but here's what it means. It means to rest and be refreshed after a completed task. That's what the word means. Now it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm being bandied about and battered about and disgraced and insulted and uh, people are hating me only because of Christ. They have no other reason but for the sake and cause of Christ. That's the only reason. They're mistreating me the way that they do. What I'm told here in this word that's translated rests, what I'm being told is that the spirit of glory, the spirit of God will carry me through it. And once he sets me on the way and has filled me with the strength that is required to face the moment, then he's going to rest on me. He's just going to get, see, I have a Holy Spirit recliner right somewhere or maybe a day bed. And I'm entering into the suffering, but I'm not afraid of it. I welcome it because it's in Christ and because of Christ. So he has already given me the strength and now he's just going to relax and watch me do it. Walk right through. That's what the word means. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You're insulted, disgraced in the name of Christ. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Number four, there is glory in suffering as a Christian. Look at this. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a troublesome meddler. You got it coming when that happens. You do bad things, there are consequences to those bad things, worldly consequences. But if you live the way that he has been teaching them to live in previous chapters and verses, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. Now, let me talk about this. Christian, Christianos. The worshipers of Caesar, oh, they adored Caesar. They were called Curionios, those of Caesar or little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> I didn't know how that would sound, but I said it. What those of Caesar, Curionas, what, what he did was he would belittle and defame a Roman or a Greek 
who was a follower of Christ. And this, this was a term of humiliation, degradation, Christian. Oh, he's a little Christ. He's not a little Caesar, he's a little Christ. And so those who were in the church became known as Christians. It was a derogatory term to the one who was saying it. But here's what Peter says. I think this is the first time that the word, let me think. They were first called Christians in Antioch. No, I guess this is. But anyway, if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's only, I think, I think that's only the second, the only, there are only two places the word is used in the New Testament. If anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that designation. They mean to shame you with it. Don't you let it shame you. Don't let it shame you. Glorify God in this name. This name of being a Christian. Being a Christian. Glorify God that the world has seen that you are different from the world. That there's something about you that causes them to say, he's a little Christ. She's a little Christ. Okay, good. Glorify God in this name. Never, ever be ashamed of being called a Christian. Then as we go through and we suffer and we pass through our pathway of life, think about judgment. Look at this. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. It's the people of God. It's time for the world to see that Christians can suffer because of Christ. You know, suffering is the, I read this somewhere, the suffering, they say, is the main reason people in the world reject the concept of God. How could God allow evil? How could God allow suffering? One response to that is, how could you know that there is such a thing as evil if God had not defined good and evil? So even to ask the question means that you have some thought of God. Here, judgment begins with the house of God. Suffering will come. And suffering starts with us because it purifies us. It further separates us from the world. Bad things happen. As a matter of fact, just, just in human life, you're going to suffer. Man, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get, your life is going to get complicated if you live in what I call a normal life. You're going to, you're going to get married. <laughs> that'll kind of, that'll kind of, it makes things better. It makes things a lot better. <laughs> but it'll bring the world against you. Then you have children. Oh. What? And, and they bring to you their, you know, you're the Supreme Court. And they bring to you these asinine problems. Well, I... <laughs> Go figure it. I don't know. 
here, 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 here's two pairs of 16 ounce boxing gloves. Go out in the backyard and figure it out, right? <laughs> but let me tell you what, after that, in the due course of time, you get old. My knee is killing me. I guess I need to quit walking so much up here. Things get difficult, right? The body just gives way. It gives out. It's judgment on sin is what it is. Adam's sin. In Adam all die. I'm a son of Adam. Thank God I'm also born again in Christ. But as long as I'm in this life, I have these difficulties. I have these things that happen. Beyond that, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And my, my worldview has to be a biblical Christian worldview. I'm, I'm worthless if, if I can't find myself separated from the world. And so suffering begins. It begins in the house of God. But what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty... Or if it is by scarcely a slight margin that the righteous is saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Here we are in this world. We are suffering as Christians. There are some things through which we suffer that others who are not in Christ will suffer as well. But C.S. Lewis said this to paraphrase. It's something like this. He said, the question often comes, why do the righteous suffer? He says, they may as well because they're the only ones who know how to deal with it. (laughs) That's true. We know that God is up to something. We know this is a fallen world and that bad things happen. They happen to all of us. But in Christ, we are strengthened and we see this suffering as coming upon us. It comes upon us first. The world will hate us for a cause that doesn't rest upon the rest of the world. It'll begin with us, but it'll spread out from there, especially those who don't obey the gospel. Here's an interesting thing. If it is with difficulty, or if the righteous is only saved by a slight margin, that's an interesting passage. It's actually a quote from Proverbs 11.31. Behold, or if, the, the Hebrew word can be translated either way, If the righteous man will be recompensed, the word means to be in the Old Testament Hebraistic sense, to be recompensed by a covenant of peace. That would be those of the covenant that God had established with the Old Testament people. If the righteous man will be recompensed by a covenant of peace on earth, surely a wicked man and a sinner, he's going to be recompensed for unrighteousness. Now back up to what it says in Peter. Scarcely, by a slight margin, is the righteous saved. I'm going to tell you, what he, I'll tell you what he means. You are only saved by the grace of God. That's it. You are part of a fallen race, as am I. There is no hope within us. There is nothing within us that causes us to save ourselves. We can never impress God. With who we are. It must be Christ in us and the righteousness of Christ resting upon us. It cannot be any other way. We're only saved 
by the grace of God. It's not, it's, it, in that sense, it's not that complicated. It's God who saves us. If the righteous is saved only by that slight mar- margin, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Oh, the suffering for them is eternal. It's an unthinkable sentence that is passed upon them. Finally, therefore, those also suffering according to the will of God, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator in intrinsically doing good. Put your soul right up close and personal to the faithful creator. That's what the word means. Entrust, it means it's a banking term. Commit and deposit your soul to God. The same type phrase is used when Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. He's a solid banker. His vault cannot be penetrated. You put your soul there, it's safe. It's safe. So what happens? In intrinsically doing good. Now that's the byproduct of, of the loving heart of Christians. The church has produced more hospitals and nursing homes and orphanages and feeding banks. Nothing in the history of the world has ever seen the intrinsic doing of good or well-doing like what the church has done in the name of Christ to reach people for those, to reach people for the cause of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Let them commit, just make a deposit. Commit your soul to a faithful creator in intrinsically doing good. Be committed to helping people. Don't hurt them. Don't try to destroy them. Be good to them. Do well by them. Because this is what your banker is doing for you. You see, that's what he means. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. If you will, according to the scriptures, if you will admit that you're a sinner, if you will believe in Jesus, and if you will call on him for your salvation, he'll save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment from this room. But right across the hall, we have, we have deacons and their wives waiting to pray with you, to talk to you. If God is calling you to Christ today, perhaps you're interested in church membership. They're prepared to talk with you about that as well. But for now, let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer.